Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, what's new? Let's see. It's uh, it's just past Halloween, and uh, I was doing some spooky stuff this this week. I I picked up a Stephen King book of short stories at uh, at like a a little antique store the other day. It's Night Shift, so it's the one with like Children of the Corn and Lawnmower Man. That that was uh, that was a fun read. Oh, cool. Yeah, and this is just a behind the curtains pull here. We are actually up to date on our episode for the first time ever. So, you know, you're going to hear this and we just recorded it. So we've usually been like a couple behind. So now I think we're, we're like right on it. So we just had Halloween pass. Um, I didn't, I didn't really do much for Halloween this year. I almost, we don't really do a lot for Halloween. We do have a Halloween party coming up. It's like a week behind Halloween party. So, because I live in the, uh, well, I was almost going to say where I live, but, uh, like I don't want Dox Me Joe to get nervous. Um, <laughs> so I live in an area that takes Halloween extremely seriously. So the people that were putting on the party didn't want to compete with Halloween. It's Salem. It's Salem, Massachusetts. I don't really care. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like they don't want to compete with the Salem traffic. So they do the Halloween party like the next weekend. Oh, that's smart. So my smart. wife and I are going, yeah, this weekend to a costume competition Halloween party. And I am going as a short king. Uh, so I, I have an elaborate King costume and then a yardstick that only goes to five, six. Uh, and that's my scepter. And so I'm a short King. Uh, that is great. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really smart idea to not compete with Salem, uh, Halloween. This year was like a, uh, a, what do they say? A banner year, a bumper year for, for Salem foot traffic. It was like, I don't know. They had like twice as many people this year as they usually do. Yeah, it's six figures, I think, of people. You know, it's it's some huge amount or something like that. And then it was also like sponsored by Hulu. It was Huluween. Um, oh, so there's a band and stuff from Hulu. Um, I went nowhere near downtown Salem uh, this year. Uh, I typically yeah. don't because it's like those types of crowds really super stress me out. So I didn't do that. Yeah. But here, here we are. It's after Halloween. I have a lot of candy left over and I've been eating a lot of it. So you know, nice. that's not great. Uh, <laughs> eating like Reese's peanut butter cups by the handful and I'm like legitimately sick because uh, I ate a bunch of them this afternoon so it's a fun time to podcast oh yeah um uh, it's been uh, it's I was thinking about this I was trying I was you know I was like I don't want to take up too much time before we start getting into the article but it's been a really big week a big couple of weeks in uh in like react stuff we have the new Next.js, next 13 which is uh, which is like full on React server components, um, and uh, and it also includes Turbo Pack, which is like the brand new uh, brand Don't new sleep compiler. on Turbo Pack. Yeah. I know, yeah, it's uh, that that's exciting for me. Even though like you know, Vite has been out there for a while, and and um, some of these Did other. Did you see uh, Evan use Twitter on? Um, he's like calling out the Turbo Pack numbers. Yes. So this was kind of this was the point I was gonna 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 get to. Uh, that was so some other stuff that happened was like uh, Node eighteen uh, LTS or Node eighteen got promoted to LTS, and then like there's a bunch of Remix and React router stuff that that I missed. 
what what I was gonna say is like it just feels like I'm feeling a little bit of uh I don't know if it's a JavaScript fatigue or like framework. It feels like framework fatigue and like compiler fatigue because now there are so many competing uh, uh compilers with like TurboPack and Vite and Webpack and I mean Webpack is kind of like the the back of the back of the pack at this point, but it just feels like there's a lot of competition and like it's not particularly friendly it's a kind of friendly competition but it's a little like you were saying with evan you posting on twitter and like uh i feel like next.js kind of baited him a little bit or you know turbo pack kind of baited him because they were like yeah it's seven times faster than Vite or whatever uh and then you have like the the, re- the remix team kind of like going at it with the next.js team it feels like there's a lot of like you know a lot of uh i don't know head head banging lately i head bang <laughs> head bang <laughs> There is, um, well, friction, I guess. I think Remix, the Remix team and the next team, we've talked about this before, they have gone back and forth. I actually think Remix started it, like they kind of went after Next in that uh, they're like, Remix is better than Next for these 15 reasons. Uh, and now I think Next Next just has a bunch of money. Like Vercel has so much money. I think they're just trying to get notoriety in any way possible to drive users because I think they make... They're venture capital back now. And the only mm-hmm. way their whole metric is just the amount of users that are in their ecosystem because they eventually sort of convert to the paid the paid systems. So they're just trying to get as many people as possible. And so they're just, it seems like they are now like choosing violence. And they're like, we're going to go after like, we're going to call out Vite and say Turbo Pack is better. It's been out like one day. Yeah. Um, and we're going to say it's better than Vite. That's been battle tested now for like, what, a year and a half, two years or something like that. And right. it's way faster. And I don't blame Evan you. And he did it the, uh, did it the right way where he's like, I'm going to post my, uh, so, like my harness for how I tested this. And then people called him, like said, you know, there's some errors here. Like absolutely get it, fixed it. Still not nearly as fast as you said it was. Yeah. Um, so like, I just wish you were more open, you know, and honest about the marketing here because that's what it is, is marketing. It There's is. just a lot more money now in the, what used to be just like everybody's broke open source world, which is great, but it also is creating these like heels, you know, where people are gathering. It feels like I'm a wrestling now where they're like, there's a heel. Yeah. They're like, I'm going to piss people off because it's going to get me more users or something. I don't know if that's like the right yeah. take, but it just does feel that way. Like next is just swinging a hammer around. That is how it feels. Yeah. And I didn't think about that until like, uh, until I, I feel like that sort of occurred to me today that they probably did call him out on purpose. They probably did mention him specifically or not him, but like Vite on purpose. Cause they were like, they were like, yeah, he'll, he'll tweet us back and be like, he'll, he'll challenge these numbers. And like, that's fine because it's like more promotion for for Next.js. Um, and Remix just got bought by or acquired. I don't know if bot's the right term, but acquired by by Shopify. So now Remix has like some, you know, big company backing. But is it big company backing in the same way? Like, or is Shopify just going to sort of consume Remix? Yeah, that's what I don't know. It's not in the same way that uh, Vercel is, I don't think. Because Vercel is, uh, is like venture backed, but um, the, the, the Shopify Remix relationship i think is a little bit more like react facebook relationship it's like shopify is the you know they they acquired this open source project but it's going to remain an open source project and and uh i don't think that shopify is going to have the same you know model at the same financial model as like uh what what vercel does i don't know but it is interesting to talk about um that the there is this sort of javascript war occurring yeah. with compilers there's there's a lot of compilers there's there's just i don't actually know 
how I would choose. Like if, if I'm building something day one now, like what do I choose? I, exactly. I don't actually know. And it's like all the, I don't, I don't even know where I'd, I, I, I'm being tongue in cheek a little bit. Like I, yeah, of course I figured it out, but I don't know. It just feels like there's a lot out there and I don't have a clear winner. Um, yeah. For what, and I, the, what do I pick? I think that that's what I mean by fatigue. It's like, you got to choose where before you didn't really have to, you just go with Webpack or whatever, but like now you got to put some thought into it. Well, well like, Oh, maybe I should go with turbo pack, but it's not super mature. Or maybe I go with Vite, but it, it has these other limitations, whatever. I don't know. I'm a little, uh, feeling a little salty about it. It all leaves me with one burning question. Ooh. What are you reading? I am reading uh, The Wrong Abstraction by Sandy Metz. So this is uh, an article by, oh, am I doing the TLDR? We never get this right. It's so Keep going. great. Keep going. You already so, started. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So this article is called The Wrong Abstraction. It's by Sandy Metz, um, who is somebody in the Ruby community. And uh, and she actually, like, this article came out of a, a talk that she did. Um, so the TLDR is basically that uh, it's it's far better. Actually, she, she has, like, one little, you know, a quote here that sums it up. Duplication is far cheaper than the wrong abstraction. So that's kind of like the TLDR. Um, yeah, that's it. It's basically like don't uh, th- there is more uh, there's more complexity when you when you choose an abstraction and it ends up later being the wrong abstraction than when you just duplicate the code. There's a this can sort of be summed up in a, in the story that gets told in this article, uh, which is like, and I won't go through the whole thing; it's kind of long, but basically. Programmer sees duplication. Two things are the same. They're like, oh, ha, ha. And they're going to pull it out uh, because, you know, you don't want a wet code base. So you pull it out, you name it something. That's really cool. You ship it. You're like, wow, that's awesome. And then programmer B comes along. The next programmer comes along. And it's like they have to do something that is basically the same as that abstraction that programmer one made. And then, but not exactly the same. They don't want to then completely reinvent the wheel. So like, I'm just going to shove a little thing in there and and kind of make a little branch because it's close enough. And then that happens enough times that that abstraction that originally was so perfect for programmer A, where it's like, wow, it's just this, this, two, this duplication is now covered by this single thing. Now you have this monster that is in and of itself a testable like feature, this abstraction, which has branching logic and covers all these cases. And, and that the point is like, it doesn't really do what it was originally intended to do, which is be a crisp abstraction for a particular problem. It's now a, like a general thing that's like a Swiss army knife uh, being used in a bunch of different places. And the whole point is like, you should be very cautious of building things like that because they are in and of themselves very expensive uh, to maintain and to build and to come back after the fact and understand what's happening because you make a change there, and then that change is now uh, sort of affecting many other places. So then the argument is like, well, what if we just duped it again? Like, how bad would that be? And and that's in computer science feels like a really dirty thing. Like, oh, I can't duplicate, I can't copy paste or duplicate this code because we've always heard like wet programming is like a wet code base is bad. But this argue, yeah. this article argues like maybe it isn't that bad. Yeah. Right. It's like dry, the dry is like held up as this gold standard of like, you should always dry up your code. Uh, 
And I think so for me, a couple of the like the the one number, you know, you, you just walked us through this kind of step by step uh, programmer A does this programmer B does this. The one number in here that like sticks out to me is time passes. It's number four. It's like really, really uh, short, but it's just time passes. And I think to me, that's like the core of what can cause some of these things to go wrong and, and for like a- abstractions to um get out of hand or for really any code to get out of hand is like, it's really hard when you're writing code, a blank slate to consider what that code is going to look like six months, a year down the line when uh, other developers have touched it. And when you've, when you've gone back and make changes to it and uh, what ends up is uh, yeah. Like, like you say, and like she says in this article, this sort of like it's, it can become a monster if you're not careful. Um, the the other thing like right below this and is related to that is uh she says it's as if our unconscious tells us goodness that's so confusing it must have taken ages to get right surely it's really really important it would be a sin to let that all that effort go away go to waste and it's like yeah i have totally felt that when you look at it at an abstraction that somebody else made you don't want to touch it because you're like they must have thought of all these different edge cases and it must have taken a long time uh, and I think the way around that, is, the, the way that I can think of to kind of get around that is tests. Cause if it's, if it is well-tested, then you can be like, it's confusing and it must've taken them a long time to get right. But like, if they have all these tests that cover all the cases, then I can refactor it and it will still be right. It's important to, um, also say like, that's, n- it's not just about abstractions, what you're talking about, that level of complexity, um, and, and you're building. This is a word that I, like, I think I, I hate is scalable. I hear this all the time. We're like, you have to build this scalable for the future. And that feels like this. We're like, we're going to build, we're going to build the abstraction first because it's scalable and it's going to be, you can use it for all these cases. And it's this speculative generality uh, that creates this like hyper sort of malleable or complex interface of like, a, it could be a React component or it could be an abstraction between two things, whatever it is. That once it's there, there's a line in here that says existing code exerts a powerful influence. Its very presence argues that it is both correct and necessary. Um, so once it's there in the code base, anybody who comes in after one is going to be like, ooh, I guess I have to keep using this thing or I guess I have to keep working in this thing because it's here already. You know, it's it's hard to be the person that comes in and says, like, I'm going to tear it all down uh, to, like, make it easier to use or like I'm going to inline this code back into the components because the abstraction is no longer serving us. That's like super hard to do because it's yeah, so antithetical it, to like what we've been told over time. Right. And hard to sell to like a code reviewer too. If uh, like, if you're like, if you look at a piece of code and somebody has undone a function and like inline that behavior, you know, if it's not done right, if it's not clear why that would be a hard thing to sell to a reviewer, I think. It'd be immediately, they'd be like, why are you doing this? Uh, and you're like, well, because, you know, the abstraction is hard to understand. So I'm going to inline everything. And now you see a bunch of the same similar looking code in three places where there used to be this one thing that was tested. And then that's a that's like a really tough uh, approve as the code reviewer, because you need to have a ton of trust uh, and also have the same philosophical approach, because some people don't necessarily see complex abstractions as a problem. Some people see that as encapsulation mm-hmm. yep uh which which is kind of like its own problem yeah 
and and she does go on to say that like that's the way out of this like it, you know the fastest way forward is back basically uh the best way to get out of this wrong abstraction uh is not to continue you know is not to like add another case when you when you come across an abstraction that exists it's not to like add another if block saying like if this other thing is true then like you know let's go down this other path and now your abstraction becomes even more complex uh, and even less about, you know, single responsibility principle. It's doing way more than the one thing it should be doing. Um, I've never had to do this. I've never had to, uh, you know, undo an abstraction and, and inline it. But her point is basically when you do that, uh, and, and I think this is maybe how it would be easier to justify to a reviewer. When you do that, you can actually like, you're not inlining the entire thing back into the different places in the code base because each part of the code base only uses one piece of that abstraction. So it's, it would, you know, I think in theory be a little bit easier to, uh, to justify doing that. Like if you're inlining it and it is all the same, then go back. I, I, you know, yeah. there, there should be enough difference between each one that it makes sense to kind of break it down. Cause I'm not saying we should break down all our, like all our abstractions and whatever. I, I think there are some that make sense um, to go back back on i've i've honestly never done it i've thought about it a bunch because i'll see like some hook so when i put like into a custom hook i'm like well there's this is just like there's so much stuff in here at this point is this even does this even make sense to use and then if you know one thing i do want to say though i heard you say single responsibility principle i feel like this wet like the dry code base comes from that same sort of era of thoughts like you know my my software design principles from the you know whatever it was the gang of four what was that book that it all came from yeah uh, i think it's just called um design oh design patterns yeah. yeah 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 doesn't apply to most of our lives anymore and yet that's still like the thing that we use as like an answer i guess for for all this stuff it's like well it needs to you know don't repeat yourself in single responsibility principle i guess but it's like doesn't really apply to a lot of what we do, at least in the front end world. I kind of take issue with that because like I, I I would agree that like and we've talked about this a little bit before, and I think we'll probably do a do an episode about this, about how like solid principles, not all of those apply unless you're doing like object-oriented programming. So like people talk about like, oh, let's make sure this React code is all solid principles, but like it you, there are some that don't fit in my in my opinion anyway. But the single responsibility principle. I think fits kind of no matter what you're doing. To me, that's the one, or I guess one of the one of the few that's like, I I feel like I always want to strive for things doing one thing, uh, so, and I, and I think that you can do that without uh, without creating the wrong abstraction. And like you mentioned too, you're like, uh, you know, you got to create some abstraction. You want to create the right abstraction. So there's nothing about like creating an abstraction in itself that's wrong, but you want to make sure that you're um, that you're thinking ahead. Uh, I think it can get really difficult too, because like you're, I think the whole idea behind creating an abstraction is like, you're trying to predict the future a little bit. Um, but that can just be, yeah, it can just be really hard. So maybe it's, maybe the answer is like, make it easier to back out of an abstraction. If it does turn out that it's the wrong one. Well, I want to say this though. The reason why you create the abstra an abstraction is because you want to avoid, if I change this in one place, I have to change it in five places. You know, that that's like, that's a frustrating developer experience and is prone to human error. So yeah. then you like, you pull this out and you put it in a single place, encapsulate your business logic in this abstraction or whatever. So when I change it, 
in one place downstream. I don't, I don't have to go manually affect that and I probably miss it. And then, you know, you keep adding new ones, like new versions of that all over the place without the abstraction. No one can keep track of that. So like, there's a reason why you make abstractions. They're, they're really powerful. But I think the, this, like the spirit of this article is that that abstraction should, should like scream in your face that it needs to exist. Yeah. Um, not that you pull it into existence from the dirt. Like you don't, you don't invent the abstraction cause it's like, you're like, Oh, I think this might be a good idea. It should be yelling at you. Like, my God, this is annoying. There's, this is so obvious that there's like, this is duped. And I, I really do need to pull out this particular piece because I, it's, it has high cardinality and it's used in a lot of places or something like that. So I, I think that's to me, like my takeaway is don't, run away from abstractions, don't run towards them. It's like, they, just let them come to you uh, mm-hmm. because that's probably going to be a better bet. It just means you're, you're going to have to be okay with some duplication. And that's, I think, where, we, where we're at is like, that's like an easy code review comment. Like, I'll pull this out, you know? And yep. I see that all the time. It's like an easy thing to say because when you're doing a code review, you feel, I sometimes feel a weight, like if I just hit approve, you know, I'm like, well, this looks good. Uh, you, it's like, almost, there's like a, a pressure sometimes to find something to say, maybe I'm mm-hmm. wrong there, but I, I find that to be true sometimes. And I think an easy comment is like, Oh, I'll pull this out because it, you know, it's like similar. Um, and I think I want to like, I'd love to get away from that as an industry of like, that's the first answer. I think it'd be great if we matured enough as, as a group where we're just like, well, let's think for a second, you know, this looks the same, but is it really the same? And do we expect it to be the same for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, was thinking about this cause, um, SonarCube, I don't know if you've used SonarCube, but SonarCube is a, it's like a, uh, code. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, a uh, uh, report reporting quality tool. monitor so, or something. Yeah, qu- exactly. Quality monitoring and reporting. Yeah. So it'll, it'll tell you about like how much coverage your, your, uh, code has you feed, you have to feed it the, the coverage um files but like you you get back sort of this like nice looking graphics and stuff part of what it does is tell you about duplication and it will tell it you can like gate on you can gate pr so that they won't pass unless they have under a certain amount of like duplication percentage which is really interesting and like i think that uh if you're adding that as a gate you want to like you want to think about that number really hard because because like some duplication is just fine, uh, which is, I mean, it's exactly what you just said uh, in her. So this this article came out of a talk that Sandy Metz gave um, that I think is the uh, it's called All the Little Things. And it's it's um it's kind of like a throwaway line from her talk. But she said she got a ton of response from that one. You know, duplication is far cheaper than the wrong abstraction. Her talk is great. So if you if you didn't uh, get a chance to watch the the video, go and watch it. It's like an hour. I really like the first half of the talk. The second half is a little bit more object oriented. And, and like, that's not really what I do right now. So it's it's not super uh, applicable. But um, one of the things that she talks about in the the first part of the talk is like when you do go to duplicate code, one thing you can do is just like add a little like, you know, instead of putting a to do comment, you add a little dupe comment and you can say like, you know, this is also dupli- this code is also duplicated in whatever file. And like, I don't know, I could see that maybe getting messy at, at, at a certain point, but I've done that a little bit in some of my code and I think it works just fine because then you can you can see like, oh, this is related to or, you know, that maybe there's a big chunk of code here that's also in another place. And it helps you, like you say, kind of it helps the natural places where abstractions can come out, uh, helps them come out. 
I think you, there's, I think the key is like no hard, fast rules about abstractions. Um, there was an article yeah. by Kent Dodds called AHA Programming, A-H-A. So it's an acronym for avoid hasty abstractions. And he talks about sort of the, the divide here, that there's the dry side, which is don't repeat yourself. And that comes from a Wikipedia entry of like an old software principle. It says every piece of knowledge must have a single unambiguous authoritative representation within a system. It's like, oh my gosh. So like, you know, that's when you're doing code review. It's like, this looks, this looks the same. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to make another component or something like that. I'm going to make another function that's going to be used in both places. And then there's the other side that's the, like, there's another version of this called wet, which is write everything twice, which is another dogmatic approach. Um, to say like, you have to at least write it two times before you abstract it for the third thing. Uh, and like Kent Dodds is writing. And I think the spirit of Sandy Metz as well is just like, um, he says, aha, like you just made a discovery preferred, uh, like he even mentioned Sandy Metz and it just like, let the abstraction come to you and don't have dogmatic rules either way. Don't automatically pull things out. Don't dupe too many times, like for an arbitrary number, just allow the abstraction to present itself. I guess is, is maybe one way that I would like that I would think about this um, to like get to the right place. So there's it's avoiding speculative optimization and speculative generality, which are two roots of evil in software development. I remember um, our shared friend, Evan, the other Evan um, said that to me like a really long time ago, like five years ago, I was, I, I did something similar to this. I like made some, I was like, I, I'm going to build this to be used in many places. And he goes, but is it now? And I said, no, but it could be. And he goes, but how do you know it's going to be like that when you get to the time that it needs to be used? Like, how can you guarantee possibly that you can see into the future? Like, as you said earlier, mm -hmm. he said, so like avoid that speculative optimization and speculative generality, because what you often do is build something that's useful for no one. And then once the code is written, you know, six months down the line, when the thing actually does present itself, you're like, I'm going to try and shoehorn what I wrote into it, but it's not quite the same. And you end up contorting yourself. Uh, yeah. Almost every time. Yeah. Yep. The, I, there's the, the Yagni principle, the, you ain't going to need it. Like that's the other one that Yag is coming to mind right now too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I mean, there's a, a bunch of people have written articles on this. There's the aha programming. And then, uh, uh, Dan Abramov gave a talk called the wet code base. It's all the same idea. It's like, just do it smart. It is. Yeah. And, and like, I, I think that, that people don't give this, uh, this idea a whole lot of credit. You know, I think that, uh, Sandy Metz in her article, she said the same thing up, up at the, the top of the article is basically like, she got a lot of pushback from that. You know, she got a lot of people saying, Oh, you've lost your mind. Like, what do you mean? Don't, what do you mean? Of course you want to dry things up. But, uh, but like the, you know, these people who are writing these articles, Danny Abramov, um, Sandy Metz, uh, um, Kenzie Dodds, like these are smart people. They they are smart people, and they've written a lot of code. And like, you know, I think that uh, there really is there there is something to it. They're like very seasoned, and they've they've written in uh, like code in a lot of different types of environments, different companies. Um, I, I guess like Dan Abramov has been at React for a really long time, but Kent Dodds has been like worked as a freelancer or whatever, worked in a lot of places. Sandy Metz too. So I sort of trust that, and I I trust that like. I never, I never think that dogmatic approaches are a good idea. Like, I, I don't know that there's yeah. very rare things in my life where I'm like, well, here's this hard and fast rule that I live by, um, for like, I follow this no matter what, in all cases, like the, 
I just don't, I don't have any of that in my regular life. So I don't have any of that in my like professional life either, I guess. Maybe I should. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that you should. Like, I think the I think dogmatic approaches can be really useful when you're at a certain point in your career. Like, I think that when you're kind of first trying to understand, try, you're trying to look for patterns of way, maybe when you should dry things up, you know, the the three repetition rule or whatever, the, the, the three case rule where you're like, don't dry something up until there are three examples of it, three instances of it. Like, that's a good thing to know when you're just starting out you're in your first year of writing code because otherwise you're probably not really going to be looking for stuff and you're going to be doing maybe go swing too far the other way where you're like doing more duplication than than you maybe should be um and uh and maybe like not seeing abstractions where they where they should be pulled into an abstraction but but if you're i don't know if you're that early in your career uh maybe you shouldn't be leaning hard into abstractions in general. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I just want to, I want to come back to that quote about like existing code exerts a powerful influence. When I read that, it, it really, it hit like a, it was like a gong that went off in the back of my head because I think we, we oftentimes it's an easy answer when you're building a feature or you're, you're like building something for another engineer to say, well, it's got to be, you know, it has to be scalable. What about in the future when we have to do this? So build it for that too. And then you have to pull in this whole nother mental context of like, I'm also going to think about this future thing when I have this thing right in front of my face. And yes, there's a ten there is a balance there. Like you, you shouldn't literally just put your head down and say, I'm going to build this in a vacuum, but building quote unquote scalable for all these potential things seems like such an easy answer. And we say that, I feel like I hear that constantly at this job, other jobs everywhere. It's like build it scalably. What about when we do this, make it so that it can be used there. But then you write this code that is, is going to exert an influence, whether you like it or not, um, for potentially years to come. And that cost, I just never hear that trade-off of cost get talked about very often Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, what's the worst that could happen? It's like, we just don't use it or we change it. It's like changing something requires a huge amount of effort too, as opposed to building Greenfield. Like ask anybody, would they prefer to build an entirely new app or would they prefer to migrate an existing app from one paradigm to another? It's like, they're going to want to build the new one because it's way more fun. Yeah. So I, I think there is this like, there's this unspoken cost to this and it's, I don't think we could ever measure it, but it's definitely there. It's like the, you know, changing code that already is there that looks complicated uh, for whatever reason is just like so hard to do. It's It feels really difficult to push that rock up that hill. Yep. Yep. I agree. Well, I don't have too much, uh, too much else to say on this, on this topic. Did you have any, any like last thoughts? I think I, I thought we would like generate way more dialogue, but I think we're both in agreement here. Of like, don't, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should have had somebody on that's like, I'm going to abstract the shit out of everything. And then we could have generated some hot, hot heat. Yeah, hot takes. Yeah, we need to get next in here to yell at people about stuff or something. We, we got to get more controversial. That's right. That's right. Um, well, speaking of controversial, uh, there's an uncontroversial, I have an uncontroversial question for you. That that was a terrible, that was yeah, a was, terrible yeah. segue. What uh? What are you learning? What are you learning? Love that. Love that. <laughs> I actually say that now accidentally in my regular life. I'm like, what are you learning when I'm walking around the house? <laughs> uh, 
Um, yes, I've gotten to you. I've finally done it. And Joe, you've gotten to me in two ways. Uh, I'm going to admit uh, something right now, right here. I am. Oh, here it comes. I am. Here it comes. Learning Vim. Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell this story. Nice. A while back, I got this keyboard called the Moonlander, and it's this. Like, I, I. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I don't mean to jump. Go in, ahead. But no. I have on my. I have on my little my little list of questions. How is the Moon keyboard going? So I was going to ask you that. So perfect. Bad. Um, it is good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, I spent some time. Okay. It's columnar, which means every keyboard you've ever used has has um, alternating key patterns, like a QWERTY keyboard. So if you look at it, it has these little like, basically like little pyramid structures. The, uh, the keys are offset. Yeah. They're staggered. Yeah. Uh, the Moonlander is columnar, meaning they are in oh. a straight line. Now, when that means I miss like constantly, I constantly miss. Oh man! And then I switch. I go to that, and I'm not good enough at it to to use it for my day job. So I have to go back to a regular keyboard, and I just blow away the learning. Um, so what I figured I'd do is is increase the learning curve and learn and relearn the Moonlander while learning Vim at the same time, um, and. I think like I'm using Vim as a reason to justify the Moonlander. Cause one thing about the Moonlander is it has this really elaborate thumb key set. It's like, um, there's like five keys right by your thumb that you can flash to anything. And a lot of users say mm -hmm. like it helps them be very effective in Vim cause they can create a lot of powerful shortcuts. So I was like, I don't have a good reason to continue to use this stupid keyboard because I hate it, but like, what if <laughs> I got to what its original intention was, which is to be a Vim power user keyboard or, you know, so that's, that's what I'm learning now. It is uh, early day. So I'm like doing, uh, I got like a Vim course and I'm starting that with the Moonlander. So it's double slow. Cause I, I don't know how to type and I don't know how to Vim. So uh, it's a rough going. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting uh, like stacking up your 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 challenges there. I I kind of like it. Um, one thing I will say is day if one. you're it's a double day one. It double yeah double day one. Um, one thing you can do is use VS Code. Uh, maybe it's what you're doing, but like if you if you if you want to kind of like not add a uh, you know full on Vim because Vim is like a, a bunch of keyboard. It's like, you know, key bindings, but it's also, you, you can use Vim within a file to navigate within a file, but then you can also use Vim to navigate all across your system. If you use VS code with the Vim key bindings, it's like a nice way to ease into it. Cause then you're just, you can just do the, the, the in file navigation, but keep the rest of your, you know, uh, file system navigation familiar. That's kind of interesting. You don't do that though, right? Not anymore. It's it's how I started though. I started for I used it like that for a couple of years, just like Vim key bindings in VS Code. Oh no way! So it's like a gateway drug. You just do that, and then eventually yeah. you become like full full Vim. Exactly. Addicted. Addicted to Vim. Addicted to Vim. Uh, yeah. I so that's a good. That's a really good pro tip. I will do that. I will check back in. But thanks for asking about the Moonlander again. Going bad. Um, <laughs> but I, I've, I've decided to recommit to it because it was like a it was a very expensive keyboard, and I'm like, this is just complete. Is complete throwaway money if I let this sit in my drawer. Yep. Uh, so what are you learning, Joe? What am I learning? I am learning. Uh, I'm learning a little bit about this thing called bloom filters. So I was talking to my friend Tom at a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me about bloom filters, which he was like, kind of like he didn't know about them either, but he he uh, he had to kind of like learn them for a um, for an interview question. 
and they're really interesting. Like they, it's sort of like a, um, it's something I had heard before, but I, I don't think I ever really looked into it. What it is, is it's sort of, it's almost like a, a data structure. So it's almost like a hash map, but it's, um, it's, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, shoot, I can't think of the word right now. Um, it is, uh, pro- probabilistic. It's like a probabilistic hash map. So instead of uh, putting a value into a hash map and being able to get every single value back out, you uh, it's really lightweight. So you can like flip a bit if something that matches your your like quote unquote hash, or I guess you do actually hash the 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 keys. If something matches your matches your hash, you flip a bit and then but that can also match other hashes. So what you end up with, it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like I'm not making it super clear, but what you end up is with- Is this in Rust? Uh, you, I mean, you can implement it in whatever you want. Implement whatever you want. Yeah, okay. he showed me like a JavaScript version, but um, but the uh, the the uh, what you end up with is like, it's it's something that will tell you one of three things. If you ask for, if you give it a, if you give it, you know, like a, a, a key. So he, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll- give you like a specific example. So like he's talking about uh, a dictionary. So if you put a word in uh, like the word and, and you put the word and, and, and then you put um, the word the, and then you put the word Bob and you put like these three words into your, into your bloom filter, um, you can get, uh, it will tell you, and then you ask for like one of them. It will tell you uh, if it's definitely not in there and it will tell you if it's, might be in there, but, but it will not tell you f- like with hundred percent certainty that like the word that you asked for is in this collection. Like if you've added it to your, to your, uh, to your filter before, and you might be asking like, why is that useful? Cause it sounds like super, it doesn't sound very useful for one thing. You can make it more, uh, accurate. So you can make it more like if it tells you like that it might be in there, it's, pr- it's very likely that it will be, it'll be in there, you know, within like a percentage point or something like that. Um, but the reason why I think it's kind of interesting is because like th- some uses for it and the reasons why it's called the reason why it's called a filter, I think I, f- I understand why it's called a filter is because you can sort of put it in front of uh, almost like a cache layer. So you can uh, you can use it to test like, is this thing in there? And it will very quickly tell you uh, whether it's definitely not in there, uh, in which case you can go and like make an actual request. So it, it can it can like uh, sit in front of uh, in front of like a, a, a request, uh, you know, like a, something that would take a little, uh, a little bit of time, database layer or whatever. And it can tell you if something is definitely not in, in there. So it saves you that time. Um, then if you, if it, if you tell, if it tells you something is in there and, and it's in there, then that also like saves you time because you can, you know, for sure that you're going to get it back. If it tells you something's in there and it's not in there, that's, uh, I'm sorry, if it tells you something is not in there, but it actually is, that's the one um, case where it will, it will like cost you a little bit of time because you'll actually be hitting the database instead of hitting this, this cache layer. So it like saves you more time, most of the time. And every once in a while, it'll like cost you a little bit of time. Okay. <laughs> I am. I, um. <laughs> I'm hard pressed after this. So this is some great mouth coding, by the way. Yeah, I thanks. I, it's it terrible. I'm like uh, halfway through this no, 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 explanation. No. I'm like, this is no, nobody's going to understand. We've. I can just assume we've lost all our listeners by now. Yep. So we could just talk. Um, so 
I'm hard pressed to understand how that why how that beats, especially for the caching implementation. So you're talking like, okay, this is sort of like a pseudo cache or a ca- I guess it's a cache. Uh, so like you miss it, then you go fetch it. If I'm thinking about actual caching layers like Redis, it's a key value pair data store with an immediate lookup. So like I would know for sure that it's not there or there because it's you either get a thing back or you don't. And if you miss, then you go make the fetch. So like how is that is this like a meta implementation that that's something like the key value pair storage database would use to determine if they should make the lookup or not at all? Uh, yeah, because otherwise, it, I think exactly. Yeah. I, I think I mean that's like you know I have a very very uh, surface level understanding of of like uh, actual use case for this, but yeah, that's it. It would like sit in front of your caching layer, um, and the, but the other advantage of it is that like if you're working in a really memory constrained environment, then like that that's uh, also where it's use, useful because you you can do it with like very low memory. It's 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 like bit flipping instead of um, instead of key, actual key value pair. So, you know, that's a cool thing to learn. Yeah, it's kind of esoteric, but uh, but yeah, if you're if you're interested to to like read up a little bit more, there's like an interesting Wikipedia article on it and stuff. I don't know. It, it sometimes I like learning about some of those things that I'm like, I'm never going to use this, but it's kind of a you know funny little piece of trivia. I guess we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, you know, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's time though I think to sail is. away. I think you're right. Now that we've taken up. 10 minutes of the listeners you know time talking about something they're never going to think about again I swear my blood pressure lowers 10 points every time I hear that that's great that's great Uh, so I did the what am I learning first so why don't you hit me with your good news first all right that sounds good Uh, my good news today is uh, this is related to um, related to the ice bucket challenge. So I don't know. I'm sure you re- remember the ice bucket challenge, but uh, a couple of years ago, there was this thing. It was like kind of mm-hmm. silly. Everybody, it was kind of ended up being the butt of a joke, but like people would like dump a bucket of ice on their, on their head on Twitter. And then they would like tag somebody else and be like, you got to dump a bucket of ice on your head. So I had heard a couple things over the past couple of years, but like, oh, that was actually like really, uh, that it was actually really good for Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, I just read like a, you know, a little bit of uh, uh, data around this. It's uh, it says that um, the FDA recently approved a new drug for Lou Gehrig's disease that was partially funded by the proceeds that like came from the ice bucket challenge. And uh, the ALS. That's cool. Yeah. And the ALS Association says the remaining funds are supported funding 130 research projects in 12 different countries and 40 potential treatments in development, which is like. That's amazing. That's, I don't know. That was amazing. Rare social media did good story. Um, yeah. Which, <laughs> which I love. I, I forget there was like, there's some huge number of money that was, was raised by the Ice Bucket Challenge. And that's also spawned like many other uh, viral, like uh, sort of challenges for fundraising as well. That's super cool. That's, that is good news. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's your good news? Uh, not it's not nearly as cool as that, um, but it is good. You know what? I'm not going to trivialize. It. It's good news. I have so it's like sort of a twofer, uh, same theme, and this is about people uh, making sort of wrong turns that turn out really good. So one of these good news stories is about this guy who took a wrong turn going home and saw a house on fire, 
and then ran to the house because he just assumed that there might be people in it and started like banging on windows and doors. And there were people inside asleep. And because he smashed on the windows and the doors and stuff to get them up, three children and uh, an adult man made it out. And if they, who knows what would have happened if they had slept deeper into that fire because the house was like engulfed. It's all caught on a ring doorbell camera. This guy just driving by and goes, oh no, and starts running up and just smashing on the windows and doors trying to wake people up and they were dead. It was three small children wow. and their like brother or adult brother and their mother was away or something like that. But this guy just randomly took a wrong turn and saved this whole family probably. So that's, that's pretty cool. Wow. The other one is I read a story about um, uh, a cop who was notorious for coming home too late for dinner and his wife would always get mad at him uh, because like she would, she'd make dinner and he would come home too late and it would get cold. So he was already late leaving work and knew he was in trouble. But on his way home, he took a circuitous path a bit and then saw a white van and got this hunch that there was something odd about the white van and pulled it over. And it turned out two men had kidnapped a woman in it and he saved her life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they ran off and they had they were part of an elaborate plot that her husband had hired them to kill her. Wow. And he saved her life. Yeah, just because just because he sort of like took a different path and then on an absolute hunch, even though he knew he was going to be really super late for dinner, it like you you wouldn't know that you don't assume I'm going to pull over this van there's going to be a kidnapped woman inside. You'd probably think like, "Oh, I could probably not pull over this guy who's sort of driving erratically so I could make it home to dinner on time." But he did, and he saved that woman's life. So that's just two people doing kind of just like acting on acting on faith, which that's, I think are always good stories. That is amazing. Uh, the first story actually happened to me. Uh, I was- What? Yeah. We, uh, we were awoken at two in the morning by a guy wearing uh, like bike gear. And, uh, and he was, I remember really well, he has like big, big white beard and like a bunch of bike gear. At two in the morning, and he was like, "There's a fire! There's a fire! There's a fire!" So there was a fire on the second floor balcony of. We were living in a in a uh, a triple decker. We call them here around around here, um, like a three three story apartment building. And the second floor had a fire on the uh, balcony on the back deck. It was not to the point where the whole house was like engulfed in flames, but the fire department came. They put the fire out. Uh, it was wild. Oh, I would not have expected that. Yeah, Did I, I get you. Uh, no, yeah, I. You thought I was muted, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, the, I'm messing with this damn mute button. We're coming back. We, this, we're, we're two weeks away from an episode right now. So everybody, we're working the kinks back out. Yep. I doubt any of you are still here. If you no. are, leave a comment on the episode and I will give you 30 minutes of free code review. <laughs> um, <laughs> of anything you want me to review, I'll review it so good. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you to abstract something away uh, when I do <laughs> But that's that's behind the curtain. We're having a, a bit of a struggle here. Yep. Uh, that about does it, though. I think. I think so. I think it's about time to give these <laughs> li- give our dear listeners their life back. Yes. Uh, please, please give us five star reviews. Yep. Uh, go to runtimerundown.com and comment on things. Matt McNeil, shout out, well, Matt, Matt, Matt McNeil, ooh, yep. ooh, uh, for commenting again. As the only guy, I think he's commented. The only person who's commented on anything. Oh. There are great comments too. So. Props to Matt. They uh, are. If he's listening. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Please also, please, everybody, 
comment and stuff because we want to, you know, we want to talk to you. Yep. That'd be really cool. That's right. And and uh, ask questions in there. So we, we have like a form for like, oh, you have a question you want us to, to talk about on the on the show in the future? Like definitely ask questions and um, tell us if we got anything wrong too. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but other than that, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody.